we really um, take seriously taking care of our patients and their families. And so we are allowing um, a few visitors to come in for end of life situations, um, both for COVID patients and for non-COVID patients. And so, you know, what that means is that there are times when we have been asked to, you know, don our our gowns and our, you know, N95 masks and all of those things and enter those rooms with those family members. You're listening to Scars We Share podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen. This is the final episode of the pandemic season. I am going to take a week break because of a family wedding next week, but we'll be back the following week for the start of the people of color season. If you are a person of color and would like to share your story, please contact me. For this final episode, I got to talk with Rebecca, who is a chaplain. My name is Rebecca, and I am the outpatient chaplain at Denver Health in Denver, Colorado. Very cool. I would love to hear what a normal day was for you before the pandemic hit. Sure. So, um, like I said, I'm the an outpatient chaplain, and so a normal day for me, um, you know, I would come into work, and uh, I work out of a clinic setting as opposed to in the um, in the inpatient in the hospital. And so it, you know, I would come in and I would kind of check my schedule of who was coming into the clinic. Um, mostly I work with oncology and palliative, uh, palliative care. And so, you know, just looking at who patients who, who was coming into the hospital today, who was being seen, you know, is there anybody that I already had an existing relationship with, how many new patients do we have coming in that I would need to do assessments with? And then, um, you know, touching base with the providers, you know, just about, you know, is there anything I need to know? Um, A lot of times I would do joint visits with um, providers, with our physicians and our social workers, um, and just kind of see people in clinic and really get a good feel for how I can best support them on that spiritual level you know, in this in this outpatient setting, as they're as they're um, kind of battling, you know, chronic diseases, and then um, I would also see people in our infusion center as they were coming in for chemo treatments or other kinds of infusions. Just um, you know, spending time with them and offering them support as they would come into that infusion setting. Yeah. Wow. That seems like a I'm trying to figure out how to say this. That seems like a pretty intense, like emotionally intense thing to do on a regular basis. It can be. I mean, you know, it's never easy to walk into that space and sit with people as they're, you know, as they're going through hard times in their life. But, um, you know, for me, even though it is a hard, a hard place to walk into sometimes, this is where I'm called to. This is where I feel that I'm supposed to be. And so, yes, it's hard, but it is very rewarding at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah, that's really, really cool. So I'd love to get just like a little bit of backstory before we jump into like the pandemic stuff. How did you become a chaplain? Like what, how did that happen? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, how I became a chaplain is kind of a a long story. Um, It's not 
something that I, you know, initially envisioned for myself for sure. Um, All the way back, um, I have a 21-year-old son, and when he was a toddler, uh, my husband kind of asked me a question, and the question that he asked me was, you know, if you could do anything or kind of be anything with, you know, no restrictions, what would that look like? And so we kind of went back through, you know, just kind of what I naturally do and what I'm good at. And that was really walking alongside people, sitting with them in whatever situation they were going through and just kind of listening. And so I applied to seminary with the idea to be a counselor chaplain was not on my radar. (laughs) And just through the course of my studies and um, doing um, my first unit of CPE, which is something called clinical pastoral education, it's kind of a internship for chaplains, I guess you could say, I really um, saw that this calling was bigger than just being a counselor and that I really was pulled to this whole chaplain thing. And so through, you know, pursuing more CPE, more, you know, clinical pastoral education and just really finding, you know, finding my place and then just through my, you know, jobs and things like that, I really have come to understand that this is more than just a job that I do. This is my, like I said, my calling, but it's my identity. It's who I am. So yeah, it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> that is so cool. Oh, I absolutely love that. And I love that you, you mentioned just listening to people. Because I honestly do think that that is like a special talent that some people have of just the ability to listen and be there for people. So I think that's so cool that this is where it led. This is what you're doing now. I think that's so cool because it's so important for people to be heard and listened to during their difficult times, especially. So uh, I just think this is so cool. I love, 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 love that. Well, and I think that that is, um, you know, that that is an important thing to bring up. And I'm glad you mentioned it, that, you know, a lot of times people don't want you to fix. Mm-hmm. They just want to be heard and to be validated and have their emotions held. And, you know, that's a lot of what I do, no matter what setting it is, is just hold space for people to process whatever it is that they're going through. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I seriously wish I could just like, hug you right now, because I just love this so much. That's where this whole podcast started was just wanting people to tell their stories, just listen to people. So oh, I am so passionate about this. I'm so passionate about just being there for people and holding space for people. So I'm so glad that I like randomly was able to cat- like meet up with you and do this. <laughs> anyway, so let's move on to the pandemic aspect of this. So how did all of that happen for you? You were you're in kind of a hospital setting. So were you aware of things? early on? Was it really quick? How did that all happen for you? Sure. So being that I'm in Colorado, um, you know, of course, how the pandemic hit us was a little bit um, later, you know, following we, you know, we saw the the news stories and the reports from, you know, New York and Washington and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so, 
so you're, you know, we're able to see kind of how those curves are affecting and, you know, affecting other places and what's going on. And so from the very beginning, um, my department, I work um, as a part of a team. We have about nine chaplains total. And so we were really able to kind of have that time to talk about, okay, when this hits our hospital and our city and our state, what does that look like and what does that mean for us as a department? And so I was privileged to be able to, you know, have time to kind of think about what that looks like for us as a department. And it really did bring a lot of changes to our team. Um, We have some chaplains that, like myself, work in, you know, kind of specialty places all over the hospital. And so what we ended up um, kind of as part of this regrouping and restructuring is we pulled ourselves into the hospital. And, um, you know, so we were making sure that there were always two chaplains on at the same time, just not only to give support and backup to our full-time chaplains that were already in the hospital, but to be able to provide not only for the spiritual and emotional care of the patients now that, you know, there's no visitors in the hospital, things like that, but really to make sure that we're taking care of our staff too. Um, You know, on a regular basis, about a third of what we do as chaplains is supporting our staff. And now more than ever in this pandemic, staff support has become a larger part of what we do. And so for me, it totally flipped my job on its head because, you know, our clinics are, you know, gone to telehealth. And so we don't have people coming in to the clinic. And so it's that balance of, you know, supporting patients and staff inside the hospital but really giving that phone support to my patients in the clinic who I can't see in person. Yeah. Oh, that would be really different. Uh, I love that you guys did shift to making sure that the employees, that the workers were getting the help that they needed because I'm not on the front lines at all, but just stuff that I've listened to things that I've read, those workers they need mental and emotional and spiritual support so much right now. So I think that's cool that you guys kind of were able to do that shift to make sure that they are getting the help that they need. Uh, Absolutely. You know, and it just, you know, we're not being hit as hard as some other places. And, you know, a lot of that is because we were able to, you know, put measures in place to keep people at home and do those things early. But the fatigue that is going on just because of this long duration and, you know, the change in hours and their change in procedures and all of that for all of us is just, just, you know, very, very heavy sometimes. And you can feel that, you know, on the units and you can feel that with the staff. And so, we do spend a lot of time just holding space for staff too right now. Yeah. And uh, I kind of love that you brought up fatigue because this, this doesn't just relate to healthcare workers, but I feel like in general, just throughout the country, probably throughout the world, people just have this 
fatigue over everything going on because it's just stressful. Everything that's going on, it just adds an extra layer of stress to your life. And you can feel it. Like I very much believe that you can feel people's emotions. I think that when you're having strong emotions, you really put those out into the world and people can feel them and, and absorb them. And whenever I've gone out to go grocery shopping, you can just kind of feel the heaviness, the fatigue, the, I don't know, you can just feel it when you're out and about. So I can only imagine how much more intense that is in a healthcare setting where people are seeing it a lot more than the normal public. I think that's, I think that's true because, you know, it's, it's your, it's your daily focus, right? It's, you know, from the time that you, you know, get up and you get dressed. And, you know, for me, it's even a change of uniform because I'm now wearing scrubs underneath my, my chaplain vest, you know, and so it's, you know, from the time that you, you put that uniform on to, you know, walking onto the units and, um, you know, doing those phone calls and sitting with those patients, whether it's in person or over the phone, and then just even, coming home. I mean, my routine has totally changed coming home. You know, it used to be you get off work and you go home and, you know, change clothes and that's it. Now it's, you know, I only drive my car to work. We don't drive it anywhere else. Um, My chaplain vest stays in my trunk with, you know, I get off work. I come home. I come in and out through the garage. My shoes stay in the garage. You know, it's that, you know, da- daily washing your clothes, taking a shower. I mean, that the heaviness just doesn't stay at work. It continues when you come home, too. And I think that that's true. It's just that constant fatigue. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I don't think about things like this because it's not, you know, I stay at home with my three children. (laughs) So like, you know, I'm very different experience. And so I don't think about the, just down to the clothes coming home and not wanting to take that into your home, into your house, into your home. So being extra cautious to make sure that you don't bring that home with you. I feel like is Wow, it just is such another it's another layer onto everything that you're having to deal with. It's it's, it's like you said it's that added layer of fatigue and anxiety and worry and all of those things together. Yeah. Yeah. So you've kind of talked us you've kind of talked about this already, but so what is more of a normal normal in quotations? Sure. <laughs> What's more of a normal day for you now? It's actually kind of interesting that we're doing this today because um, as a chaplain team, again, the things are in flux and change. So my, my kind of daily routine, I still haven't figured that out yet. Um, yeah. We, because we were able to, you know, in play, you know, put things in place so that this pandemic hasn't hit us as hard as some other places, we've really in the hospital kind of, you know, got to the place where we don't feel that we need 
this doubling up at this point. And so it's kind of that balance between how do we make sure that we're still there to back each other up and, you know, provide that adequate patient coverage and taking care of our staff too. But then how do we kind of transition back to taking care of you know, some of these other areas of the hospital and our outpatient settings and things like that, that we haven't been able to focus on for a while. And so I'm, you know, kind of today is my first day back in kind of this new transition period. So, you know, I'm right now I'm, you know, looking at a list of patient phone calls that I have to, that I need to make to follow up with folks and, you know, kind of looking at that and checking my schedule for the infusion center and being able to go over in person and really spend the time with folks there that I haven't been able to for a while. And then, you know, as we kind of slowly look at transitioning and what does it mean to have a few patients come into to the clinics in person. You know, what does that mean for the days that I work? And, you know, it's 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 kind of right now, normal is is kind of a, a nebulous word because I don't know what normal looks like right now, if that makes yeah. sense. Oh, it makes absolute sense. And Oh, man, I, I, I'm just going to keep going back to this. I feel like it's just, it really adds even more to just the fatigue with all, with all of this. Because when you have a normal, when you have something that you just kind of get used to, it, I don't want to say it becomes mindless because you're definitely not doing mindless work. But you don't have to think as hard. I, I'm really trying to figure out how to say this. But when you're in a normal routine, you don't have to think as hard about the decisions that you make. Whereas when everything is just kind of up in the air and you're finding a new normal from day to day, it just is so much more intense. Um, I'm going to take it. Oh, I don't even remember who said it. But a lot of people have said that decision making actually is it takes a toll on you. You only have so much ability to make decisions throughout the day because it takes energy. And so when you have a set routine, it takes away the decisions that you have to make, allowing you to have more energy for other things. So when you're in this flux of not having a normal and constantly having to figure out new ways and new new ways of doing things, you have to be taking a lot more energy to make decisions to move forward. So I feel like it just not even having a normal and having to figure that out day by day adds even more into the just intenseness of everything going on right now. It, it really does. And, you know, right now we're in the middle of nurses week and, you know, for this year, it's actually, it's nurses month. They're celebrating it for a whole month. And, you know, one of the things that we've always brought to our staff was blessing of the hands. And that has always been kind of a very intimate um, ritual and time that we've had with not just nurses, but with, you know, a staff from all different 
um, places in our hospital, from you know doctors and nurses to security guards and environmental service workers, and and it's always been this intimate way for us to have that one-on-one personal connection with them, reminding them of their calling and the work that they do, and really blessing that work. And yeah. this year you know, you have to make a decision, right? This is still very valuable and meaningful, especially now. But how do we do this in a way that is also taking into account this pandemic and this, you know, need for distance? And so how do you do this same blessing with, you know, social distancing and masks and hand sanitizer instead of, you know, oil and all of these things. And so you have to, you do have to think about things different. It's not your normal routine. You, you know, you have to make decisions and yeah, think about things differently. Yeah. So this, this isn't dealing with the pandemic. I'm just very, very interested in this. So the blessing of hands, I guess, background, I am a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh So I'm familiar with blessings um, and using oil. So do you actually like put oil on their hands to bless their hands? How does that work? I'm just super, super interested in this. Yeah. So so the blessing of the hands has been a, a tradition um, of for Nurses Week for I don't even know how long. <laughs> many, many, <laughs> a long time. And, and um and people do it a number of different ways, but how we do it here at Denver Health is is with um, blessing oil, and that that is exactly what it is. We put it on their hands, and then um, as you're kind of holding their hands, you're you're saying this blessing. You're just validating, you know, the what these hands have have really seen the the lives that they've touched the pain that they've felt the healing that they've brought the comfort that they bring you know just really what is the significance of the work that we do and so how do you this year bring that same kind of meaning and blessing when you can't be in that close space you know what i mean when we have to talk about distancing and you know you're talking through a mask so you can't see their face and and how do you really make that meaningful and, and hold that space, right? It goes back to holding space for staff in this time when we feel isolated and we feel disconnected and our work has changed. And um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. First of all, I have to say that is absolutely beautiful. Oh, like I... Oh my gosh, I would love to see, I would love to be in the room for something like that. Oh my goodness gracious, that just is so beautiful. Blessing hands like that. Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, But also, oh, that's like, it's kind of heartbreaking of, and how do you do that? How do you have that same intimate connection to do that right now? with everything, with all of the precautions that you have to take for the social distancing aspect of it. That's all that's kind of heartbreaking that it can't be like it normally is. But I think, you know, that's part of what adds the meaning to it right now is because we are all so isolated and so disconnected from each other. You know, the reason why we are still choosing to do this this year is because 
we understand that now more than ever, our staff need that connection and that validation and that affirmation. And we see this as a way that we can take care of our fellow, you know, our fellow staff members and maybe help alleviate some of that fatigue and anxiety and all of that heaviness that they feel. Yeah. Oh, I love that so, so much. This, like, I seriously cannot get over just how beautiful this is. I've never heard of any of this before. And so like the nurses thing. So I just think it's absolutely beautiful because I have the utmost respect for nurses and all that they do. For me, it's, it's one of my favorite times of the year. It's something that I look forward to. And so I'm glad that we're still able to do this. And, and part of my role as, you know, as an outpatient chaplain is bringing this, this blessing to our community health centers and our outpatient clinics. And so, you know, at first, you know, when, when this pandemic hit and it's the idea of, you know, social distancing and changing roles and all of that, I, there was a level of grief that came for me because I wasn't sure that I would still be able to do that for our, for our community. And, um, I am. And so next week I will be traveling to our community health centers and to some of our outpatient clinics and still be able to do this. It just looks a little bit different, but still being able to bring this, this blessing and this affirmation to our staff who are also right on the front lines of the community. They just don't work in our main hospital. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So, 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 so much. So I'm trying to figure out how to ask this. (laughs) Have you, have you, interacted at all with any COVID-19 patients? Sure. Um, So part of, you know, kind of pulling back and supporting, um, supporting our full-time chaplains and things like that does mean that we do come in contact with um, COVID positive patients. And um, a lot of our work really has been, you know, when we're doing visits with patients, we're doing a lot of phone work, you know, calling folks from outside the room. Um, and a lot of that is because we want to be respectful of our other staff members and, you know, not not be taking away gowns and masks and gloves that our fellow healthcare providers need to take care of these patients. And so it really was a, a balance of how do we provide care for these folks and still be respectful for, you know, the, the definite shortage of, of equipment that's going on. And so I am uh, fortunate to work in a hospital where we really um, take seriously taking care of our patients and their families. And so we are allowing um, a few visitors to come in for end of life situations. Um, both for COVID patients and for non-COVID patients. And so, you know, what that means is that there are times when we have been asked to, you know, don our our gowns and our, you know, N95 masks and all of those things and enter those rooms with those family members or with community clergy, like, you know, priests, for example, to really bring 
this closure to these patients and families. So, so yes, we've done a mixture of, of both, both yeah. on the phone and being in rooms with patients and families. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool um, that your hospital is, is doing that, allowing for end of life visits and stuff like that. Because that is something that, once again, I just, you know, I read things, I watch things from nurses and doctors and whatnot. And some of, one of the things that comes up over and over again and all of the stuff that I've been trying to learn about is that these people are dying alone. Yeah. And to me, that is the most heartbreaking part of it. Um. And so I think it's really, really cool that your hospital is making sure that they don't have to do that. And I have to say, as a chaplain, that you know, I am I am proud to work for an organization that really does take that dilemma seriously. And um, you know, in, in the middle of a pandemic, we are still making sure that we are putting our patient care first and our family care first. And yes, it looks a little bit different. And, you know, maybe we have, you know, family members who can't join. And so we're, we're including them in, in different ways, right? If they can't be here in the hospital, but, but that we're really making sure that we are minimizing that, moral injury for our staff members and for our families too, who, you know, who wouldn't want their loved ones to die alone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is just so amazing. I, I get like, I can only relate on certain levels, but when I was really sick in 2016, I ended up going up to ICU and they had to do a thoracentesis where they like put a needle through my back into my lung to try to pull some pus infection out <laughs> and, and my husband wasn't allowed to be in the room for it. Mm. And I'm terrified of needles. Yeah. And so the charge nurse was in the room with the doctor. And so the charge nurse was like helping me to be calm and whatnot. Yeah. But it was horrible. Like when I, when they said that he had to leave and couldn't be in the room with me. Oh, that was almost my undoing. <laughs> I, I would like, I had a very major internal freak out when I found out that he couldn't be in the room. Yeah. And so just imagining going through that and not being able to have your loved one there. Oh my gosh. Like, I think it's so, so cool that the hospital that you work at has put such a high emphasis on that. Because I think that's so important. Family is everything. If nothing, if people have learned nothing else from this pandemic, I think it's family is everything because those are the people that you are with during this time. And so to not be able to be with them in those last moments would just be so, so difficult beyond words for describing. I, I just can't even imagine. So I think it's so cool that you are able to work for an organization that places such an emphasis on that. That's cool. I remember um, kind of early, 
you know, when this pandemic hit Colorado, I had an experience where I had to do something that I had never really done before. And, you know, I'm in one of our ICU units and I have a, a, a patient who was end of life and, and having to hold the phone and describe to a family member how their loved one was experiencing those last few moments. It just, you know, it was, it was meaningful and significant for, I think for this family member, but also for me, because it's that idea of how do you hold space for somebody in a whole different way. And, um, you know, that really for me was impactful because it brought, it brought, even further to the forefront of my mind, the importance of that community and connection and family. And just, you know, this whole pandemic has turned all of our lives upside down. And how do we still connect and find meaning in all of that when we have to isolate and separate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, this, this made me think about my my religion, my church again. So we believe in my church very strongly that the veil between the, whether you want to call it the life before this one, life after this one, we just kind of call it a veil between this world and the spirit world. And we very much believe that the times that the veil is the thinnest is at birth when a spirit is coming into this world and at death when a spirit is leaving this world. And so I, I think it's so cool that you've been able to be there for people during this transition from this world into the next. And even though it's a really, really difficult time and it's really hard, it's also a very beautiful thing. So to be able to be there for the people leaving this world, but also for their families, I think is just a really, really cool, it's a neat thing that you get to be a part of. And it's just so, I keep saying the word beautiful, but I don't have any other word to (laughs) describe it. I think it's beautiful that you are a part of it and you get to be there and experience it. I think that's an accurate description when you describe it as beautiful. It's it's beautiful and it's meaningful and it's hard and emotional and all of those things all in that same space. Yes. Beautiful does not mean things aren't difficult. Absolutely. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I think that's part of the, to me, the description of beautiful in it involves so, so many other things. And oh yeah, just so, so cool that you get to, that you got to be a part of that, even if it is hard because it's necessary and important. It's very important work, what you're doing, which is very cool. I love it. And I'm so happy I've been able to talk to you about this because it's just not something that has been even something that I've ever thought about just, uh, you know, a hospital chaplain or an outpatient chaplain. I've, that's just not something that is, was on my radar at all, really. So 
it's just very interesting hearing what you do and I love it. And I'm so intrigued and interested and just think it's so neat what you do. So we're getting close to on time because I to time to end. I want to make sure that I'm being respectful of your time. But I just want to ask, like, is there anything you want to say to people who are listening? Just with dealing with all of this pandemic, seeing what you've seen, doing what you do. Is there anything you want to tell people? Hmm. I know that's a really big question. Yeah, no. <laughs> It is a really big question, but I think it's an important question. Um, you know, I think as I listen to people, as I, you know, do visits around the hospital, there's kind of one common thing that people really bring up, and it's this idea of anxiety and fear. And I think that, you know, when we think of fear, you know, fear is is a basic human emotion, right? We all feel fear. But I think right now, as people are, you know, struggling with staying home or, you know, how do we how do we pay our mortgage now that we can't work or our rent or, you know, standing in line for food banks because we can't go to the grocery store or even just you know, not being able to connect with our friends and our family and our loved ones. I guess I would just want people to know that you're not in this alone, that all of us are feeling this, these same emotions, and that across the world, across the country, we are all in this together. And even as alone as you might feel right now, you are not alone. Amen. That's beautiful. I am a huge, huge, huge proponent of mental wellness, emotional wellness, just everything. Like I'm, I'm a huge proponent and I'm so passionate about that. <clears throat> and that is something that I have heard from so many people is just this extra anxiety and fear that everyone is experiencing. And I think a large part of it is because it's so uncertain. Things are just so uncertain right now. No one has an answer. And that makes it difficult. And I think it is really important to know that we are all experiencing this. Every single person is experiencing this. And I feel like there's some comfort in that. You're not doing this alone. Yeah, there kind of is. It's that that shared connection that we have as human beings, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, I love it so much. We're going to go ahead and end, but I just want to thank you so, so much for being willing to talk with me. I have absolutely loved hearing from you and what you do. And I think it's wonderful and amazing what you do. So thank you. I, as hard as it is some days, I would not rather be doing anything else. Thanks for listening. Just a reminder again that there won't be an episode next week, but we'll be back the following week with a new People of Color season. If you've been enjoying the show, please rate and review it. That helps us so much. Check out the show notes at scarsweshare.com slash episode 038.